0: Hey guys, it's Lo and I am your host for Blast from the Past, a series of podcast episodes exclusively on Wrestling Windown where we spill the wine on history-making WWE events of the past. I won't be alone. I'll be joined by guests for each episode to help me cover the event along with some interesting facts along the way. On this inaugural episode, I am joined by Ben Morse. Ben is a former Marvel employee and a huge wrestling fan. We'll be diving into SummerSlam 2000, going through the moments of the event that stand out even today. We'll also be dropping gems along the way about SummerSlam as a whole. So grab your glass of wine. We're going in for the three count. As I mentioned in my intro, I have Ben Morse on the show today. Welcome, Ben. Hey, Thanks for having me. Let's chat about how you started watching wrestling. How did you get into it?
1: Um, okay, so I started watching wrestling. I remember distinctly, like it's, it's it's one of those things, much like with comic books, I don't remember the exact way. Like it was always just there, right? Mm-hmm. Like from, from as young as I can remember, it was always just part of my life. But I pretty distinctly remember it was about 1990 it was definitely 1990 uh, my dad got us the 1990 survivor series Mm -hmm. and it was like it just it was it was thanksgiving my dad was like a casual wrestling fan and he just thought this would be something fun me and him to do as like father son little did he suspect that i would become a far bigger wrestling fan than him um (laughs) so i don't know if he regretted or not but i remember very distinctly i remember ultimate warrior texas tornado and the legion of doom the warriors were like the coolest survivor series team of all time and that's where it all started for me
0: how have you remained a fan for so long i know a lot of people they have their moments where they're not into wrestling anymore or they just lose interest altogether but how have you remained a fan
1: for so long I think one of the things for me is just like, it's always been a way to bond with the people around me. Like when I was in high school, uh, me and a lot of my friends used to watch wrestling together. So it would be like a communal activity. It would be, you know, 12 of us in someone's basement, like watching wrestling. And then in college, when I was kind of, you know, feeling like I didn't have my place, one of the ways I made new friends was I found other friends who liked wrestling. Hmm. And even today, like as a, college professor i find it's a way that i like bond with students because if a student wears like a old school dx shirt into my class i'm like oh all right we're gonna be cool so it's like it, it's it's always been to me uh something that brings me together with other people even when i was working at, at marvel it was like a lot of my coworkers who i really became friendly with it's because we'd go to ring of honor shows in new york city or we'd, we'd go to wrestlemania together or something like that
0: you mentioned your students wearing wrestling shirts do you have a lot of students that like wrestling
1: yeah i inevitably i always have like a good crop of students who like wrestling i like was surprised by it and the thing that's always interesting to me is that They'll always, like I said, they'll wear in like an old DX shirt or an old like NWO shirt. And I'll be like, mm-hmm. oh, that's awesome. Or, Are you like a big fan of 90s wrestling? And they're like, no, nah, I'm more into like the current stuff. But, you know, this is a cool old school t-shirt. And I'm like, oh, crap. All right. I guess <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. That's when I was in high school. But whatever. You know, I'm, I'm definitely known at UNLV as being like the comic book professor. But probably like the second part of my identity is, oh, he likes wrestling. And we can talk to him about wrestling.
0: I think that's super cool, and as I've mentioned on the show before, I met Renee Young in your class. Yeah, my so, podcasting class. Yes, so my friend was in your podcasting class, and I remember she showed me her syllabus. Yes, yeah. Yeah, she wa- I wanted to be in that class, and the class was booked, and I was like, oh, okay, well, let me see your syllabus. What are you guys learning about? And then I saw Renee you Young. A- said,
1: you would have aced that class, by the way. Just to, Thank uh, you. Just to say, <laughs>
0: I'm reading the syllabus and I see Renee Young and I'm like, oh my God. And she was like, who is she? She had no idea. And I'm like, she's the first female commentator in the (laughs) WWE. I'm going insane. I'm like, I have to be there. My friend ends up talking to you and setting it up. And it was just such a great experience. Renee is so personable. Mm -hmm. And- She was able to provide so much experience. How did that go? Did you know Renee Young previously? Have you met her before? How did you garner that relationship to be able to have her come into your class and speak to your students?
1: Renee and I met right before WrestleMania 29. It was in New York. Uh, It was like the first one in a while that had been in New York. And Mm -hmm. I was working at Marvel Entertainment, which is where I was before I came out to UNLV. And we had a good relationship with a lot of, people at wwe because a lot of wwe people a lot of wrestlers are comic book fans and a lot of people who work at marvel or in comics are wrestling fans there's like a huge crossover so it'd be the type of thing where um, we would whenever someone from wwe who was any sort of marvel fan came to new york city we would either via social media or through the people we already knew at wwe we'd say come by the marvel offices we'll give you a tour it was a pretty cool place to like tour around so the person who came in for that particular day was Biggie was is a huge comic book fan and he wanted to come to Marvel and um, I think Renee was just with him and she's like oh that sounds like a cool thing I'll go to Marvel too and we ended up giving them the tour uh, hit it off really well because Renee and Biggie of all the wrestlers I've met and I've gotten to meet a lot of wrestlers through the years just mm-hmm. two of the like nicest most personable and just like fun people so yeah. that was a connection that I always kind of kept. And, uh, you know, we would would interact over social media and stuff like that. Years later, she ended up moving. She was living in New York at the time. I was living in New York at the time. She ended up moving out to Vegas uh, because I think that's where John uh, was living at the time. So when they got together, she moved out to Vegas. And then I ended up moving to Vegas a few years ago. And when I did, I, I think I just you know, it was like just on Twitter. That I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to teach at UNLV. And of course she reached out to me. She's like, oh my God, when you get here, let me know. And just because of all the craziness of moving cross country and starting a new job and I had a newborn and all this other stuff, we just, we never really connected until I was teaching podcasting. And it was my wife who said, cause I was, I was thinking of like, who can I get to come into the class and speak? And my wife was the one who said, oh, you know, Renee Young has a podcast. You should get her, and she's local. You should get her, and, and you guys know each other. You should see if you, she'd come in, and I reached out to her. She was super into it, and she ended up, like you said, coming into the class speaking, and she was awesome.
0: Wow, and I know you've had Emilio Sparks as well in your yeah. podcast. Yeah, so he does wrestle Rap, and he yep. also produces Corey Graves' and Carmella's podcast. So like you said, it's all about garnering those relationships.
1: I never thought when I was – a kid who liked wrestling and comic books, that I would be able to do, get to do the things that I've been able to do in my adult life. Um, so I feel very, very fortunate. And I feel especially fortunate that people like Renee, Emilio, uh, and all the other folks I know in wrestling have been so kind to me, an outsider who just is basically a fan, but they've, they've treated me like a, like a friend and a colleague. And I, uh, I'm eternally grateful to them.
0: Let's get into SummerSlam 2000. This was a very historic pay-per-view. It was the first TLC match to ever take place. And we know how historic the TLC matches are nowadays. I was watching this and I was reading up online and the whole thing about the TLC match, tables, ladders, and chairs. So tables, we had the Dudley boys who are synonymous with their tables. We had the ladders with the Hardy boys. Specifically, Jeff is always jumping off ladders, but when it came to the chairs, they were trying to figure out how Edge and Christian would work with chairs. And that's how the concerto came about. They were trying to figure out something innovative to do and they brought in the concerto.
1: Yeah. I remember distinctly. So 2000 was one of like the best years of wrestling for me as a fan. I just thought like it was, everything was clicking, particularly with WWF. Um, and you're getting all these newer, awesome guys like Edge and Christian and the Hardys Dudleys are crossing over. All the guys from WCW came over to WWF. So it's just like, it was a dream. And I remember that the three-way ladder match at WrestleMania 2000 Mm -hmm. was one of my favorite matches of all time. And it's, it's always interesting to me that everyone always talks about SummerSlam 2000, the TLC match as being like this big historic thing, which it is, absolutely. It was the first TLC match. But people forget about the fact that they just had had an amazing ladder match a few months earlier. So to me, it was a matter of when they, when they announced TLC for SummerSlam, I was like, oh, well, they're not going to be able to outdo the ladder match. That ladder match was so good. So it was, it was crucial that you had those elements of tables and chairs. And granted, like we'd seen tables and chairs and ladder matches before, right? but never so like weaved into the narrative. So like you were just saying, the fact that Dudleys are the table guys, uh, Hardys are known for ladders. Just the fact that they went out of their way to say like, all right, we're going to give Edge and Christian something to the chairs. And then it became part of like their identity moving forward. So it was was a cool way to take an already amazing chemistry and like even bring it to another level.
0: I was also reading that Edge revealed a couple years after the fact that the Hardys were actually supposed to win this match, but they decided to keep the belts on Christian and Edge because of how much heat the two had and we know how edge and christian are they have this chemistry together whether they're a heel or a face they've just worked really well together and obviously as a heel of course they had heat but it is interesting since you know the hardies they were in their hometown typically in the wwe it seems like whenever someone is in their hometown they seem to win a championship belt or the match so i thought that was an interesting tidbit that was released
1: yeah it was crazy because Edge and Christian, if you look at it, if you look at the three matches—the the, the three way ladder match, the TLC match, and then eventually TLC two at WrestleMania seventeen—Edge and Christian always won, mm-hmm. um, and it was just like you were always waiting for the Dudleys and Hardys to kind of like get their their comeuppance, especially the the Hardys and in, in their hometown. It's like oh, it would have made sense. It would have been so satisfying, but yeah, that that was the deal. It was just like. This was a time in wrestling, especially that, that 2000 period where, and I noticed it watching this show, I was like, holy crap, everyone is over. Like, right. like everyone, it's, it's not like there's lulls in the brain, probably like the lowest point on the card for me was like X-Pac Road Dog. Mm-hmm. And even then, like, X-Pac and Road Dog are, like, Hall of Famers. So, like, right. that's really saying something. But Edge and Christian, yeah, the level of heat they had was ridiculous. And it was the type of thing where it was like, well, you know what? This is, if it were, like, the 1980s and it was a territory, and it was like, you know, you're talking about, like, Ric Flair always had the title. Yeah, because people always wanted to go to the shows to see someone beat Ric Flair, to beat the Horseman. And Edge and Christian were the 2000s. Version of that, there were these bad guys that people loved, but they hated so much that you really you could run with them for months and months.
0: That's a really good way to put it. I was also reading that of the thirty plus superstars who participated in this pay per view, fifteen of them were making their SummerSlam debuts here. So we had Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Kurt Angle, China, yeah, I think has, a lot of that. was just
1: such an influx of talent in two thousand. Um, If you look at, like, even the roster from, like, 1999 to 2000, you had all these guys came in. Kurt Angle debuted, Taz debuted. uh, A lot of the different, like, WCW guys came over. A lot of different ECW guys came over. So it was just, like, there was such a wealth of new talent in 2000. Because I think if you look at, like, WrestleMania 2000, that's a lot of guys' first WrestleMania. Like, almost Mm -hmm. everyone on that card, it's their first WrestleMania. So by the same token, a lot of these guys – I mean, you look, you look at these guys, like Chris Jericho had been on SummerSlam the year before, like doing an interview, but this is his first SummerSlam match. This is Kurt Angle's first SummerSlam match. And it was an exciting time to be a WWF fan because all of these guys you never thought you would see in WWF, Eddie Guerrero, um, all these guys you never thought you'd see in WWF all of a sudden were in WWF and they weren't, it wasn't a letdown. Like they were all
0: awesome it almost reminds me of how it is today with aew and nxt when they sign new talent whether it's international or someone that lives in the united states that excitement that people get once they finally show up on the roster whether it's an interview or a match that excitement would you say it's the same
1: yeah i think nxt over the last five years is very very comparable to how we felt about wwf in the late 90s early 2000s when we were getting all these huge stars from other promotions, and we just wanted to see what could they do on like the biggest stage, you know. So when you talk about something like the fact that the biggest stars from Impact uh, of the last few years, I and mean, I guess this is a kind of a couple years old at this point, but like even seeing like AJ Styles and Samoa Joe in WWE, seeing right. all these guys from Ring of Honor in NXT, Kevin Owens, Adam Cole, everyone, yeah, it's very. It's very comparable in the sense that you would follow these guys in smaller promotions. And even though WCW was on par with WWF in the late 90s, it still felt like a big deal when a guy like an Eddie Guerrero would cross over, when a guy like a Chris Jericho would make it all the way to WWF, which still to most of us felt like the big time, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Interesting on this pay per view. So we saw Eddie Guerrero in China versus Val Venus and Tristratus. Val Venus was the intercontinental champion, but the title changed hands. And this was the only time a men's title changed hands by a woman pinning another woman. So China ended up becoming the intercontinental champion here her second Intercontinental Championship run. But it brings me to the question of intergender wrestling. We saw some of it involved here, and it's been the talk of the town lately when it comes to NXT and seeing the involvement of Candice LeRae and other superstars in the ring. What are your thoughts on intergender wrestling? We saw it in this match, but do you think it's something that we would see in the WWE
1: today? I think, like anything, intergender wrestling can be good if it's done the right way. (laughs) And... There's recent matches, um, both on the independent scene and in terms of, I mean, I mean, just even thinking back to when Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey wrestled Triple H and Stephanie McMahon at WrestleMania. And I know that right. wasn't strictly intergender, but some of the most enjoyable parts of that match were the Rousey Triple H interactions, right? And the fact right. that Triple H was willing to say, this woman is a badass and I'm going to work with her, like that added a lot to the match and it was super entertaining um, whereas I almost think, like, with this match we watched for SummerSlam 1000, like, this was not my favorite intergender wrestling match. China had so much charisma and presence that it made sense for her to be in there with the guys, but a lot of the time, just watching this back, it felt like, unlike, say, Triple H working with Ronda Rousey, it didn't always seem like the guys who were in there with China wanted to work with her, mm-hmm. and that was always problematic because... It shows, you know? Eddie Guerrero is an example of a guy who had no problem like making China look good. And I'm not bagging on Val specifically here. I'm not like naming specific names, but I just remember that to answer your question, intergender wrestling works when everybody involved is willing to try to make it work. Intergender wrestling falls apart when there's certain participants who feel like this is not legitimate and it's either not good enough for them or they don't have to put in their all. You know.
0: At the beginning of the pay-per-view, I didn't really know how to feel about this, so I don't know if you noticed, Victoria accompanied Rikishi to the ring, and they were talking yeah. about how she was involved with The Godfather at one point, and he was on the right to censor at this time, and it was just really weird to me now that I look back because... I loved Victoria in the WWE. She's held the Women's Championship twice. She also went to TNA and won their Women's Title five times. So seeing her in that capacity and hearing about, you know, the stuff that she was doing with The Godfather kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And this match wasn't the most interesting, but her involvement here just, I didn't really like it.
1: It was very uncomfortable watching. There's two moments watching in 2020 that I was very uncomfortable with. It was this and it was the Cat Terry match. Yes. I was like, that would never fly mm-hmm. today. And I think that's a good thing that we've come a long ways and stuff like that. But it was crazy to me that I was just like, well, when I was 18, we didn't even like bat an eyelash. This is just right. the way wrestling was. And I consider myself like a fairly progressive person. So it was just like kind of weird. It was a weird personal experience for me to see the Victoria stuff and the Cat Terry stuff. And to be like, oh, yeah, I remember when that was just, that was the way it was. The Godfather would, uh, that was his gimmick. And it was very uncomfortable. It was very, like, weird. And it's definitely, you know, I'm not trying to, like, get on a soapbox or sound PC, but we're in a much better place now. And I'm glad that we don't, let me put it this way. I have a daughter, and I'm glad if she watches wrestling with me, which she will. Um, (laughs) She's not going to have to watch, like, you know, divas having, like, putting matches and stuff like that. I'm glad that that's not the state of the world anymore. And it's, yeah, it's weird going back and watching that. And it, it, it was not the most comfortable thing. I will say that I remember distinctly, this is kind of related just to the, cause I don't know if we'll talk anymore about this first match with Rikishi and uh, cool against right to censor that mm-hmm. one of my fondest memories was uh, in 2000, me and a bunch of my friends went to a SmackDown taping and we dressed as the right to sound. Oh my God. <laughs> so we just wore like white shirts and black t shirts or white shirts and black ties and people hated us. Like we were in line to get our tickets and we were getting booed. A woman told her daughter, like, those guys suck. And I was like, this oh, is my God. glorious. Like it was amazing. And we played it up. We were just like, you know, we were, we pretended we were living in the gimmick. So we, uh, we enjoyed it.
0: It was interesting what you said about how the different matches that the women used to have. I was watching the new WWE Untold with Sasha and Bayley, Mm -hmm. and they brought up some tidbits about their history before their historic takeover match that they had. So they trained with Sarah Stock, and Mm -hmm. she would train them, you know, doing the typical moves in the ring, not you know, what the divas were doing. And I guess someone walked in a male and they told them, you know, you need to do what the divas do. And that really rubbed them the wrong way. And I thought it was interesting that they added that tidbit in, into a WWE and told her any type of documentary with the WWE, because typically it seems like WWE kind of like brushes it aside. Like we almost forgot about everything that has happened before. I think about when I first started watching wrestling with extreme expose and the bra and panties matches. And I'm like, what is going on? And then, Mm -hmm. you know, finally it progressed. We saw women come in and actually start wrestling and being athletic and showing how capable they are in the ring, going past those three minute matches, 30 minute matches, ladder matches, steel cage matches. So I thought it was interesting that you said that after watching the WWE Untold.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a place I never thought we'd get to, quite frankly, just like being a fan of, being someone who enjoyed like watching women's wrestling, but you know we we were kind of like you know whatever we get we get, and right. it's just cool that that doesn't have to be the case anymore. It's cool that women can main event WrestleMania. It's cool that Sasha and Bailey are two of the most respected people on the roster. So, there's a lot of stuff people don't like about modern day wrestling, and I get that. But if nothing else, the role of female wrestlers in today's WWE in particular is something we can say like, you know, we've, it's come a long way and it's, it's actually in a very good place.
0: I was actually surprised to see how many superstars on SummerSlam 2000 are still involved in wrestling somehow. So Shane McMahon was involved here. We know he hosts Raw Underground, Chris Jericho's on AEW, Jeff Hardy Hardy's new Intercontinental Champion, and the list just goes on. Mm-hmm. And... You know, Watching some of the older pay-per-views, I've been going back and watching 1996, 1997, and a lot of those guys still aren't in the ring. I think a lot of the pay-per-views that I watch, the only one that is kind of still in wrestling is The Undertaker. So seeing that four-year gap and seeing how many superstars are still present in the wrestling world, whether it's the WWE or AEW or anywhere else – was just something that caught my eye.
1: I think it speaks to the fact of how hot wrestling was in 2000 or even if you look at like 1998 and the fact that this was one of the most successful periods. And I think as a result, a lot of the guys who were working during that period, guys and girls will basically have jobs for life whether it's in WWE, in AEW, in NXT. It's just like they made their mark during one of the most successful periods in wrestling. As someone who lived through 1996 as a wrestling fan, I can tell you it was not like the best time in wrestling. And a lot of those guys had just like, you know, they faded away by the time wrestling became big again, they were already gone. And I think it's also not a coincidence, the fact that a lot of it coincides with the rise of Triple H. And the fact that basically... Triple H and Stephanie, they are the powers that be in WWE and they've taken care of a lot of the people who were around them when they were successful. So I don't think it's a coincidence like they know that Road Dogg and X-Pac and even though he's in AEW now Jericho or Shawn Michaels or any of these guys like they were part of what made WWF so successful in 2000. Why would we not want to take advantage of them in 2020 when their knowledge can be used to shape the NXT of tomorrow and bring up these future superstars.
0: Speaking of Triple H, this storyline, I did not realize how weird it was until I went back (laughs) and watched the pay-per-view. So Kurt Angle and Triple H had like this almost love triangle with Stephanie McMahon. They had a match. It was Kurt Angle versus Triple H versus The Rock. And Kurt Angle was concussed before The Rock even yeah. appeared on the show. And he revealed in an interview years later that Stephanie was calling out the spots to him, including moments during the match where he had to you know, interact with the other superstars. And it made me think of the video that they used to show. I think they still show it like on some of the DVDs and stuff that don't try this at home. Yeah. That's what it reminded mm-hmm. me of. How did you feel about it from now and then back in the day? Do you have any different opinions on it or are you still the same?
1: No, it's definitely changed because watching it at the time, I had no idea what was going on. It was just weird to me that like they had promoted this triple threat match for weeks and then all of a sudden Kurt Angle was like barely in it. Mm-hmm. But watching it this past week and having heard Kurt Angle give that interview many times about how he's concussed in this match and just like being like, it's a pretty well known story that he he was concussed early in the match. I was waiting for it to happen. And when he takes that pedigree on the table mm-hmm. and that look on his face afterwards, it is unnerving because it's like you know that this guy just got messed up seriously badly messed up and it's just like um so i so i did view the match a little bit differently because where he's when i was watching it live i was just like huh everything seems a little bit off this time i was watching it and i was actually impressed i was like wow it's crazy that triple h and the rock i mean granted they had a million matches against each other so i'm sure they could put something together in their sleep but the fact that they basically had to come up with a new match on the fly because Kurt Angle's no longer a part of this, and then uh, knowing that he came back and still, Which like, Which is crazy to me. It's nuts. <laughs> yeah, like, there's no – you just look at the guy. He's so out of it. There's no way he should be able to function. I think it speaks to the, the toughness slash insanity of Kurt Angle. When I saw the match originally, when I saw the match live, I was, like, kind of disappointed if that makes sense, because like, oh, this isn't that great a match. Right. Watching it back in retrospect, knowing the circumstances, I'm actually like, this is an accomplishment. Like, the fact that this was not a complete disaster is amazing. And um, just to speak quickly on that love triangle storyline. So when I was a kid, I said I liked comics, I liked wrestling. And then the one kind of like, doesn't make sense with the other two thing was, I really liked uh, the show Melrose Place. Which was... Oh, a, I've heard I'm, of that, yeah. Dude, it was a primetime soap opera, and <laughs> it was like, it was basically, like, a, a slightly more adult 90210, um, so I was into wrestling comic books and Melrose Place, and for me, the idea that they were going to do, like, a love triangle storyline on WWF television was, like, yes, like, the moment has finally come that all my interests are now <laughs> coinciding together, and I'm super into this, and the weird thing was, a lot of people felt that way at the time like a lot of like this was like yes we had had hulk hogan randy savage and elizabeth like way back in the 80s that was Mm -hmm. kind of a love triangle but it was always just an implied thing like hogan never actually kissed elizabeth it was just this thing that you you had like the undertones um but with this it was like wow like kurt angle is actually going after stephanie and triple h is doing whatever he's doing with trish and all this stuff that's like it's wrestling is always referred to as soap opera for, for guys, I guess, although it's really for everybody, but this was soap opera actually coming to the WWF. And it was like, at the time, I just remember everyone being like, this is brilliant. This is something (laughs) never seen before. Like the writing was praised and it was just like, I don't know how well it's aged necessarily, but in 2000 people ate this storyline up and I was I was right there with them.
0: We also had Shane McMahon on this card against Steve Blackman and Shane McMahon fell 40 feet, crazy.
1: Yeah. It was like, it was like the first real Shane McMahon crazy bump, like he had done stuff at this point. Like we'd all seen him in the ring. And, and I remember like Vince at this point had already fallen off a cage through a table. And it seems like they're always doing crazier and crazier stuff. But this was the first. I think this was the first like real since Hell in a Cell. Like, oh yeah, crazy. Um, like this was after the Foley Hell in a Cell thing. It was a couple years later, but more significantly for those of us who were watching at the time, this was really the first time they'd done something like this in the WWF since Owen Hart had died. Mm. So it felt like. After Owen Hart died, a lot of things felt like they were kind of off the table. Like you didn't see a lot of stunts or crazy falls or things like that in wrestling in, in WCW and WWF anywhere because everyone was just kind of like shell shocked from what happened to Owen. Right. So, the fact that I think it had to be a McMahon to do something like this because I think if another wrestler had done it, it would have it would have felt disrespectful in some way, but the fact that it was Shane McMahon was kind of in this weird way and I'm kind of like talking around it, but I just remember having very intense feelings on this at the time was like, it was kind of saying like, all right, it's, it's okay. We're we're, we're going to go back to doing this kind of stuff. And like, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, like this is part of wrestling and this is going to continue to be part of wrestling. So it was a, it was a weird time. It was the, the The first big Shane McMahon bump was definitely like a weird circumstance.
0: I don't think he's done anything that, grand since then has well, he i mean he, recently yeah.
1: he went um so i was at wrestlemania 32 in dallas um I, that was that was yeah that was the last wrestlemania i went to live um and he wrestled undertaker in hell in a cell and he went off the roof in that I do you remember that yeah yeah. yeah yeah i just it's 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 not as i don't think it's as widely remembered because nobody liked WrestleMania 32, but, um, everybody like SummerSlam 2000? So it's, uh, you remember this one and not that one.
0: I was looking into different superstars along the years who have debuted at SummerSlam. And the one that stood out to me was the Fiend, not Bray Wyatt, the Fiend. So he debuted mm-hmm. last year at yeah. SummerSlam. So we know this year he's facing off against Braun Strowman, but how have you felt about the Fiend's legacy so far in the WWE?
1: I like The Fiend a lot. I like Bray Wyatt a lot. And I I get frustrated with the fact that I feel like Bray Wyatt has always had so much talent and always gets kind of like cut off at the legs, if that makes mm-hmm. sense.
0: It does, I hate,
1: yeah. Yeah, Like I hated... I hated right off the bat that he wasn't more of just a a monster who was destroying everybody. And I really didn't like when he lost to John Cena at his first WrestleMania because it felt like this is a chance to make this guy star. And then I just remember like, you know, he lost to Chris Jericho in a feud. He lost to Roman Reigns in a feud. So it's just one of those things where kind of like we were talking about um, towards the beginning of the show, we were talking about Edge and Christian. Um, These are bad guys who – you keep them strong, so it means something when they get beat eventually. Like the person who beats the the person who ended when the Hardys did eventually end Edge and Christian's title reign, it felt like a big deal. Or when the Dudleys did. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Bray, it felt like almost immediately. Oh, and he lost the to Undertaker too at WrestleMania thirty one. Um, it <laughs> it Yikes. felt like almost immediately they're like we have this really cool bad guy, and we're not going to keep him strong so that when somebody some like underdog or rookie or whatever beats him it means something and i do think it's kind of like emblematic of the bigger problem and i know i know that's more of like kind of a wrestling philosophy answer than necessarily a bray answer mm-hmm. but i do kind of feel like bray is the poster child for that and i didn't like when when he lost to goldberg earlier this year oh, because no. <laughs> because they had this awesome new character who was so scary and it's like he should have he should have he should have run through guys like Goldberg like someone who already established themselves like Goldberg and no offense to Goldberg should not be beating this incredibly fresh new character right like agree guys yeah guys who already have their reputation should not be advancing at the expense of a character like the fiend I mean you know so, so that's kind of my feelings on it is Ray Wyatt's incredibly talented. I don't think he's ever gotten the opportunity to live up to his full potential. And I'm hoping that it's not too late for that still to happen. Watching this show back and just being like, the amount of care that was taken with every character up and down the roster. You mentioned Steve Blackman, Mm -hmm. who, if Steve Blackman was in today's WWE, he would probably last for a few months and then disappear because he just you know he's he's fine but he doesn't have like that distinctive character but in 2000 like this crowd was going nuts for steve blackman they were going nuts for for too cool for al snow right for perry saturn like anyone who came out they were just like because these guys even if they only had five minutes of tv time a week the creative behind them and the amount of work that put in was just off the charts. And I think we're starting to see that again today. Like with people who are really working their, they're really working as hard as they can, whether it is a Bray Wyatt, whether it is a Bailey and Sasha, whether it is a Drew McIntyre. And I like to think that, you know, just to end on an optimistic note, I think we're getting back to that place where everyone up and down the roster is really like putting in the work and we're going to see the benefits of that and I know you know wrestling in the world and everything is in a pretty crazy place right now but watching this show from 2000 was like really fun for me and I appreciate the opportunity to do it because it made me think like oh man yeah wrestling wrestling's the best and wrestling wrestling's gonna get back there because wrestling always gets back there so that's something to be excited about.
0: Thank you, Ben, for joining me today on Wrestling Wind Down. Where can the people follow you on social media?
1: Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Ben J. Morse, B-N-J-M-O-R-S-E. Or if you are a comic book fan, um, I'm on Instagram at Ben Reads Comics, but I only post about comics. So if you don't like comics, why would you follow me? That would just be <laughs> torture for you. But uh, but if you're interested, that's, that's where I'm at. And then I also... Uh, host a podcast called The Other Identity, which you can find on CheckpointXP.com. And it's a comic book podcast, but uh, I try to sneak some wrestling stuff in there occasionally.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wrestling Wind Down. You can find all of our other episodes available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at WWDCAST. Our new website is also coming soon. Let us know what you thought about the episode. What was your favorite part? We upload episodes with brand new co-hosts every week. Until next time, enjoy your wine. And of course, enjoy your wrestling. Cheers. (laughs)